Welcome to another episode of Hail from the Bleachers. My name is Matt Farrell, your host. Alongside me, as always, is Chance Vineyard Crouch. Chance, how are you doing today? I'm doing quite well, Matthew. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. I bet you're feeling real good, Chance. I am feeling fantastic. And you know why? Why is that? There was a football game played this weekend by a team from Michigan. How they do? I believe they did quite well. Think the scoreboard could reflect such a statement. Yeah, what was the uh, score over there in Minneapolis? Um, maybe 24 bad guys, 49 good guys. Yeah, it was a good game to say the least. Um, I think it's safe to say I was pleasantly surprised by the outcome. Um, I knew I, I was confident going in, but I did not anticipate doubling them up on the scoreboard. I believe that the boat did not have any oars this weekend. There was the, only a the boat did the not boat. row. Yeah, it was sinking. The boat quickly. was sinking quickly, and yes. that is a fantastic thing to see. Yes, we sunk the boat. Mission accomplished. Um, if you guys missed it, uh, Michigan did play Minnesota on Saturday, uh, night game on ESPN. Game day had the coverage, and Michigan pulled out a big opening day victory. Uh, 49 to 24 is the final score. Um, it felt about as lopsided as the score looks. It was close for all of about five, six minutes in the first quarter. And uh, Minnesota had a 7-0 lead after a blocked punt on the first drive. And that was basically the only thing that went right for the Gophers the whole game. Um, Michigan's defense clamped down after a couple scores in the second half. And uh, the offense just took off. It was nuts. What did you think of Joe Milton, Chance? I think Joe Milton was... Very surprisingly collected and reserved and just cool and under the pressure. He didn't let the moment get to him. He was just what you want to see from a first start for a brand new quarterback. Yeah, I think Harbaugh said it best in his uh, post-game presser, cool as a cucumber. He was seemingly very comfortable back there. Uh, sometimes you're worried about even returning starters kind of having like the yips are having like the the jitters in their first game of the season. Joe looked collected. He looked calm. He surprisingly, to me at least, he worked through his reads on a lot of plays. You see him a lot of checkdowns to the running backs, which is nice to see because you want to hit the home run ball sometimes. But when you don't have the home run ball, being able to check it down, take what the defense gives you, I think that shows a lot of maturity, and it, he probably benefits from having so much time in the system. Um, what, well, I guess just a year or two years. This is going into year two. Yeah. Oh, so he's had at least a year to sit back and he got some game time last year, but he's been able to kind of learn it. You can tell he's really kind of grabbed hold of it because it wasn't like, you know, I, I love Shea Patterson, but you know, you kind of see Shea go into tunnel vision mode where he would watch Donovan Peoples-Jones or Nico Collins the entire play, no matter who was open. Maybe you have Ronnie Bell streaking down the sideline wide open, but he's going to throw it to his first read because that's where he wants to go. So it was nice to see Joe kind of work through his progressions like that. Yeah, I think Joe did a fantastic job. And I think even more importantly, Josh Gaddis coordinated a fantastic game. Yeah. He designed this perfectly for Joe that it kept Joe comfortable, did what Joe wanted to do, what Joe likes to do, what he's just used to doing. And kept him comfortable, kept it easy, nothing too complex, easy reads, easy decisions just keeping it nice and easy for Joe to be able to do whatever he needed to do on the field. Yeah, he did make it easy for him. So, Matt, that brings us into our most heralded topic. Hail yes, hail no, Matt. What is your hail yes of the week? 
Yeah, so my hail yes uh, of the week has to be um, the O-line. Because going into the season, we kind of talked about it in episode one, uh, four new starters out of five. The the only returning starter is Jalen Mayfield. And a heck of a returning starter, by the way. So it's a good place to start. He's probably going to be a first-rounder. But was kind of worried about how the rest of the offensive line would gel. Um, you have guys who have experience. They kind of got some meaningful minutes last year, but you don't know how they're going to work together. Because as you know, an offensive line can you know a bunch of studs, but they can't block together and hit their assignments. Does you no good. If they're not a unit in a unified force. Right. right. Because you, you get guys, you know, breaking free on blitzes. Your quarterback doesn't have time to throw. So, for me, as the O line, um, if you look at the stats of the game, Michigan ran all over Minnesota. Their total rushing for the night was two hundred fifty six yards, and so three three running backs scored touchdowns. Haskins, Evans, and Charbonnet all scored. Uh, Blake Corum had a huge run to start the game and had a couple big ones leading up to it. So, uh, or kind of in the or earlier in the game and throughout it. So the O-line really opened up some holes. You look at some of those plays, those holes were the size of Texas that these running backs ran through. So my hail yes, the offensive line play. What about you? Uh, my, well, I'll go off your hail yes first. Uh, the O-line play was fantastic. And though he's not technically an offensive lineman, I think we have to throw Ben Mason in there. Yes. Uh, Bench Mason, our beloved fullback, he just loves contact. He is the definition of a football player. As Brady Hoke said, he is one of those players that when the, he's the fullback you want because he'll come in at six foot as a freshman and he's going to leave at 5'10". Just right. because that spinal compression from all of those hits yeah. and all that blocking. And he had several tremendous ceiling blocks on those big runs by Haskins and Charbonnet. And also going off the outline, this the confidence that obviously Josh Gaddis and the coaches have in this offensive line because... They were pulling not one but two offensive linemen on some of these runs. Yeah. And especially they're pulling the center of a starter's first year starter as a senior. He's waited all this time to be able to finally start. And there's one on one of the Joe Melton runs where like both guard and center pull. And Joe has the patience to like wait, let them get out in front of him, get their block, and then right. continue. Right. Which shows impressive uh coolness and decision making by joe to be patient enough to let that happen and the play develop yeah and also just the sheer agility and just athleticism by the offensive line to be able to do that because that is not an easy thing to do no it's not you, we kind of had a luxury last season with caesar ruiz how athletic he was to be able to get to the outside so quickly yeah. you wondered if they'd see that again but those guys can move those big old 300 pound boys they can uh, get up and go so they certainly can so my hail yes of the week has to be New starter on the defense, Michael Barrett. Viper, yeah. the guy just has a nose for the football. There was a period in that game, in the I think the second quarter, he was involved on every important play. Oh, yeah. Yep. Every important play. From getting sacks to blowing up uh, runs, from getting a kickoff that he somehow returned like 60 yards, right. to recovering a fumble <laughs> on a kickoff. It was just like, the dude's everywhere. Yeah. For real. He had that one play where he leveled, just destroyed Tanner Morgan. And the ball popped up and Jeter took it in for a scoop and yeah. score. The most just, impressive part of that play was, so he's lined up over the receiver as a, like a hidden blitzer. Yeah. He's coming in from that cornerback blitz. And it's a read option. So Tanner Morgan's faking the handoff. 
to Ibrahim because he's doing an RPO. He's reading what's happening. He decides he wants to pass. Barrett takes the time to realize Ibrahim does not have the ball. He slows down, realizes Ibrahim doesn't have the ball, and then continues to go tackle Tanner Morgan. I didn't even see that. It was just the decision-making, and yeah. like he took the time to ensure he wasn't about to be, rather than just like see quarterback, hit quarterback, he took the time to realize running back doesn't have the ball. Okay, now I can hit the quarterback. Right. Yeah, he was impressive. You can see why they were also big on him playing Viper, because the dude is so quick. Like you said, on that pooch kick, on that kickoff, took it like 60 yards. I thought he was going to, I thought it was a house call. I thought he was gone. Yeah. Um, he was out there in coverage with receivers on islands and seemed to hold up pretty well for the most part. And obviously his blitzing ability is just, he, he's going to be a stud. I think he's going to be really good. So, love to see it. Um, speaking of the defense, kind of a good segue into my hail no for the week. Um, my hail no... I'm going to kind of sound like I'm copping out because a lot of times the Talking Heads, ESPN, Fox, all the big college football analysts, they like to dog on Don Brown's defense whenever they give up big plays because they all go, well, you know, Don Brown plays man defense and you always risk the big play. But they did give up quite a few, I don't want to say quite a few, they gave up a couple really big chunk plays. Now, obviously, in the long run, we only gave up 24 points which in today's college football world is pretty is good. Fantastic. Yes, because everybody's running spread offenses. You know, If you're keeping an opponent under 30, yeah, it's a good game. Right. And so um, defense, they, they hammered down in the second half because I think... 14 they, points in the second or 7 points yeah, in the second seven, half. They scored 17 in the first half and then 7 in the second half. So obviously they made some adjustments, which is nice to see. Um, Don Brown did employ some bracket coverages on Rashad Bateman, um, which... Is contrary to what he said in one of the pressers, but you know, gamesmanship, I'm all for it. Um, there were times where Vincent Gray was on an island with him or Dax Hill. Um, speaking of Dax Hill, we'll kind of get to him in a little bit here. Um, some of you are probably wondering what happened to him because he kind of just disappeared in the second half. But, uh, anyways, the defense gave up some big plays, eventually, like, clamped down, but you would hope that we're able to kind of work on adjustments in game a little sooner so that when we play teams like Ohio State or even Penn State, um, who has some good skill players. Um, I mean, Ohio State's on another level. They have a three deep of five-star receivers, but those guys are athletic. So being able to keep up with them and con- contain them throughout the game, I think, is a big deal, especially in games where momentum swings are so valuable, like in a rivalry game. So my hell no. Just wanting to clamp down to those big big uh, plays on defense, make sure we kind of contain, keep everything in front of us. So right. Well, my hell no, um, if you remember from our depth chart, podcast i may have been uh, very uh strong with my endorsement <laughs> of the special teams Just and i bit. will remain by their side but jake moody man what is he going missed on? three field goals oh for three which i can cut uh so the first one maybe it's just nerves sure. i don't know it's a night game first game of the season pushed it right right happens second one Kind of not really his fault. Also his fault. So it's the whole unit. So they, this year they have a new long snapper. Because Cameron Cheeseman has unfortunately left us and moved on. The and goat, transferred away. The, the goat Cheeseman. Yes. So we have a new long snapper. So when it comes to field goals, if you don't know, not to nerd out too much on us, there's like a very important like unit. The long snapper, the holder, and the kicker. Because if your timing's just a little off mm-hmm. on any one of those spots... The field goal is going to most likely be missed. Right. So the long snapper on his snap 
was not exactly where the ball needed to be. So the holder took a little longer to get the ball down. And that so the holder's trying to put the ball down. He's not able to get the angle on the ball that Moody would like. So I'm going to blame it on the whole, sure, the whole unit, unit yeah. for the second field goal. And then the third field goal, I'm going to say he was just in his head from missing yeah, the other two. At that point, which yeah. is a shame. Um, he's I, a really honestly, good so he's a good kicker. He's been very efficient over his time. So I think that these are things that can easily be solved. Uh, he was the only kicker we had there because Quinn Nordine was, I believe, sick. Yes. He had practice, and then he was just under the weather. And the, obviously it worked out because they didn't need the nine points we left on the board. But Some of those games they will need it, though. Some so. of those games. So this is an opportunity for them to reforge, come back together, and reset themselves. Yeah, We missed Wild Thing for sure. So, yeah, um, I think overall some good takeaways from the game include um, an impressive start by Joe Milton. I think I saw something released recently that had some – he was ranked like fifth or sixth in the Heisman odds. And listen, people, you don't want to base you know your expectations off Heisman odds. They got some guys on there that probably are going to fizzle out here after a couple of games. But, um, I mean, he played really well. Um, you know, was watching some film and, and, you know, was watching kind of a recap of some of the plays that we ran on offense. And they were highlighting some of his decision-making skills as far as uh, certain plays pre and post snap. So long story short, there are sort of two different reads that we saw Joe make throughout the night. One is called a relief. One is called an RPO, run pass option. The difference between the two is a relief is a pre-snap decision. And so basically on a relief... Um, the the, sh- the play that I'm thinking of in particular, um, the offense lined up two wideouts off to the left of the formation, and then the offensive line plus tight end and the backs all lined up for a run. And so the play call is basically Joe's decision early on what he sees pre-snap. He gets to decide, am I going to throw a bubble screen out to one of the wideouts, or am I going to run the ball to and hand it off to one of my backs? And he makes this th- decision based on a couple different factors. Where is the defensive end or linebacker that he's looking at as far as um, is he coming up to blitz or is he going to drop back into coverage? Or is, or, and he's also looking at the corners. Are they pressed up against the receivers and press coverage or are they soft, kind of sitting back in his own? So if those um, DBs are sitting back in his own like they were uh, pre formation or pre snap in the formation, he's likely going to throw to the screen because you probably get a good chunk of five, six yards out of it. Um, had those corners been pushed up to the line of scrimmage and the linebacker, instead of coming up to the line, kind of backed up into coverage and kind of revealed what the play was defensively, he might have handed the ball off because during the play, the whole offense, the whole offensive line is playing run. They're blocking as if they're running the ball. So that way you get all the linebackers to commit to the run and jump in. So that's a relief. And Joe ran those flawlessly. The, the, the play that they showed, he ended up getting a big gainer out of about 20, 30 yards to Ronnie Bell. But it's just a little bubble screen because because he was out there on an island, you get one block, make a guy miss, you're gone. Secondly, our RPOs, run pass options. So this is a post-snap. So after the ball is snapped, it's a decision the quarterback makes. He the, the play call in mind on this one, so he hikes the ball and he fakes a handoff or he goes to hand off the ball to one of the backs. As he's going to hand it off, he's looking at, either, like I said, again, either the linebacker or or the defensive end, who's the, kind of the key guy. Is he, is he coming up to block the run, or is he dropping back into coverage? 
if he's coming up to make the tackle on the run game, he's gonna pull Joe Milton's gonna pull the ball, fake the handoff, and throw to one of his receivers who's streaking on a slant, who's probably open because that linebacker came up. Um, you know, vice versa, if the linebacker drops back, he's probably handing the ball off because you're gonna get a good little, nice little gain out of it. So all that to say, Joe ran those flawlessly. I think he he made really good decisions all night. So that's my biggest takeaway is just Joe as a whole. There's been a lot of hype around him, a lot of almost seemingly too much pumping up of his tires, but he lived up to the hype in the first game. Don't you think? Yes, I think Joe Milton has very much fulfilled the hype that was talked up about him. Yeah. And honestly, one of my most, I think one of his most impressive plays was actually an incompletion. When he got pressured, rolled out to the left, rolling away. This is a really tough throw for a quarterback. And he, it's just like flick of the wrist, throws this ball 35 yards downfield to, in literally the only spot Giles Jackson could have caught this ball. He did it truly effortlessly, mm-hmm. and Giles just wasn't able to get his hands underneath it to catch it. Right. Yeah. He looked real good. Uh, he's got, like everybody says, he's got a cannon for an arm, but you can see the touch on it too. A couple of those deeper balls he threw, not a whole lot of them, but he threw into Ronnie Bell. Um, and it was right where it needed to be, like you said. And then Mike Sanders still had that crazy catch where he like went up and grabbed it at the sideline, and, and uh-huh. he put it in a spot where only Mike could jump up and get it. Yeah. Because it was pretty pretty good coverage. So, saw a lot of stuff great, from Joe. Great placement on balls. Yeah. And he ran the ball well. And he ran the ball well. Un- which underrated. Was surprising. Um, he ran for a total of, oh, where is it? 52 yards. Yeah, 52 yards. Which And that's sack adjusted, so that's including the right. probably 15-yard-ish sack he got. Oh, early in the game. Early yeah. in the game, yes. And he had a rushing touchdown, too. And when he ran it, he a lot of hesitation. He kind Ran of waited, with patience yes. and let things develop. Waited for the hole to open up. So, shout out to our guy, Joe. He, uh, looking forward to watching him play the rest of the year, for sure. Any other, uh, any other big takeaways or remarks regarding the Minnesota game? I think we are ready to uh, head into Little Brother Week. Yeah, a little bit of a rivalry week. Feels a little early in the season for it, but hey, that's the nature of the season. We have Little Brother on the clock. We play Michigan State in Ann Arbor against Little Brother. Sparty's coming to town, and man, you always feel good, or at least recently we felt good going into this game, but this year just feels a little different. Um, If you guys didn't catch it, Michigan State lost to Rutgers again. Michigan State lost to Rutgers, um, a.k.a. Butgers, um, bottom dweller of the Big Ten, although they may be improving here shortly. Greg Schiano made his return. Um, but they turned the ball over seven times against Rutgers. And Rocky Lombardi didn't look great. Elijah Collins is supposed to be one of the better backs in the league. Didn't look great. Um, Jalen Naylor, supposedly one of their standout wideouts, didn't look great. Had a couple drops. Um... I think it's going to be a fun week. It definitely is. And honestly, the most, the biggest news with Michigan State heading into this year has to be the departure of head coach Mark Mantonio. He had been there for, I want to say, 13 years. Mm -hmm. And obviously he had some big highs with them. College football playoff, winning the Rose Bowl. Like, they had some big highs. Yeah. So he carried them up from obscurity up to the top, and then, unfortunately for him, rode them back down. And mm-hmm. when he retired in February, that kind of did really screw them over because this is kind of after most of the coaching search is done. Right. So they kind of had to scramble, figure out a quarterback or a coach, find a coach. They thought maybe Luke Fickle down in Cincinnati because he had ties to, with Mark Antonio, blah, 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 blah. That didn't work out. 
after Luke Fickle said no, they went down to Colorado and pulled up Mel Tucker, is now going to be the head coach there. We don't really know much about Mel Tucker's head coaching experience because yep. he's had, I think, a year, maybe two years. I'm just going off the top of my head here. I think he was recent at Colorado. He'd only been yeah. there for a little while. He'd not been there long at Colorado, and that was his first head coaching job. And yeah. he he has a good the history. He's was at Alabama, mm-hmm. so he's got some experience that he could be bringing here. But we don't really know what his head coaching skills are. Yeah, it's tough to put a finger on his style. He seems to put an emphasis on like recruiting and marketing, like the team. Like he's active on Twitter and Instagram and stuff. Unlike Mark Antonio, Mark Antonio is very much kind of old school. That old school reserved. Yeah. Um, chip like, chip yeah. on his shoulder was sort of his claim to fame. He was always like, we're the underdogs even when we're favored. So, you know, everyone's against the Spartan dogs. Um, Mel Tucker's, I think he's pulling a couple, he's kind of like salvaged a couple of recruiting it's, gets, but this it's, is, yeah. So, nothing much. Unfortunately for Mel Tucker, he was hired mid February. And obviously, a month later, mm-hmm. uh, COVID hits. Yeah. So it's a tough they, spot um, for him to come Yeah, into. it's a very tough spot for him to come into because it's already a short off season being hired late, and now it's an even weirder off season. Yeah. So you don't get it, all the, you don't you get all the preseason yeah. reps with the you team. You don't get the preseason reps. You yeah. don't get all the extra installation of your offense that you could be doing and all that stuff. So Michigan State was at a tough spot going into the season for sure. So I don't think many people expected much just because they're in a really awful spot. Right. And then obviously. Last week, uh, they played Rutgers, um, and it didn't go well for them. They, no. It was just very, very unlucky with these turnovers because, yeah. I mean, the two picks, you can maybe blame them on the quarterback. It's bad reads, but five or five fumbles, they had seven turnovers. It was bad. Five fumbles. That is just truly unfortunate. That's not like, I believe it had been 40 years since Michigan State had, had a game where they had that many turnovers. It was bad That's football. unheard of. Yeah. Seven turnovers is unheard of. That's just unfortunate. It's not going to happen again, obviously, because... You hope not. You <laughs> hope not, because that's a historic bad. Yeah, as much as I despise Michigan State and the Spartans, and they lost every game on their schedule, I really could, couldn't care less. In fact, I might enjoy that. Um, but, man, it, just, it was bad football. Watching, I mean, because they were playing a pretty bad opponent. Rutgers, like I said, is they're going to improve. They're not. They came back. Surprising their defense, they didn't look too bad. But it's hard to tell. Is it was Rutgers that bad, or was Rutgers playing well, or was Michigan State yeah. that bad, and vice versa? It's unknown how what the actual caliber of Michigan State and what Rutgers are. Yeah. Until we get more games, obviously. Right. But it did not look good. Because Michigan State had seven turnovers, but then they only lost by like one or one or two scores. It was it ended up being a relatively close game, and so it's like if you're if you're Mel Tucker, you probably walk away telling your team, "Hey, we turned the ball over seven times, but we still almost came back and won that game." So like, we all the only person that can beat us is ourselves. But also like, is it just a testament to how bad Rutgers' offense is? Is that even though they got seven turnovers, they couldn't capitalize on it? So. It was just a big cluster. Yeah. I was watching the first half, and I was like, oh, I enjoy watching this. But then going into the second half, I was like, I don't know if I want to watch this anymore because it's just bad football. Like, yeah. It was it's, not good football. I mean, Michigan State, despite turning the ball over seven times, which if you're turning the ball over seven times, you're not going to win a game. No. That's not going to happen. Against a Power 5 team, no. Against any team of any self-respect, that's not going to happen. Yeah. But still, they only lost by 11. It was 38-27. to 27, Right. Which is... It's impressive that they were able to keep the game that close despite mm-hmm. having all these things going against them. Yeah. 
Well, you know, uh, <clears throat> I always like to poke fun. Dark Horse Heisman contender Rocky Lombardi uh, came out about as I expected he would. Heard a lot of hype from him or about him from Sparty fans last year behind Lewerke. A lot of people calling for Lewerke to be benched, understandably, because Lewerke's play just sort of, he regressed pretty intensely. But I don't see a whole lot. I mean, it's really early. We've seen one game, Rock, you know, maybe Rocky just had a bad game, but like, dude does not look good. He, there are some highs and there are some lows. So Rocky, he's got potential, but it didn't look great. No. Just seeing some of his releases, and like, I'm no quarterback professional, like, throwing motion and stuff like that, mechanics. I probably couldn't, like, pick him out if you asked me to, but like, just watching him throw, yeah. his feet were jittery. You're supposed to set your feet, step into the throw. And he would like he'd be moving and like there's there, there's there's throwing on the run and there's just not setting your feet even yeah. when there's no pressure and he just would launch it and like one of the picks he over he was by like five years unsettled ago. and seemed uncomfortable yes totally so where we where Michigan had Joe Milton in his first start very settled very comfortable right this is I don't believe this is Rocky's first start it's his first start starting a season off. Yeah. But I think he did have a couple starts with uh, Lewerke's injury last yeah, year. Yeah, to his shoulder, right? Yeah. So, Rocky's he's not a new guy. He's been around for a little bit. Yeah. So, he has some experience. So, it was a little surprising to see him. Maybe it's the new offense. He's not comfortable with it yet. But Could be. To, who knows? So, all that to say, I am just chomping at the bit to see this team go out and put the hammer down on Sparty. So, here's the thing. I've been guilty in the past of going into seasons where it's like, or even going into this rivalry game, uh, the battle for Paul Bunyan, where it's like both teams are decent, and there's a decent, you know, it's like a, it's a pretty even split as far as the score or the predictions, but like Michigan fans go in there overly confident, oh, we're going to beat them up, and it ends up being a pretty close game. And normally, even when Michigan is the better team, State still plays them pretty close and pretty intensely because they, they've always been able to get up for these rivalry games. I don't see that this year because I feel like the reason they're able to get up is because Mark D'Antonio was a fantastic motivator. Mark D'Antonio could convince his guys to eat a plate of glass <laughs> if that meant they had like a coins flips chance of being within like a touchdown at Michigan. For sure. And like he just had that way about him where as much as I don't like the dude, he knew. He was a phenomenal coach and there's no yeah. taking that away from him. He would always get the best out of his teams when they played Michigan. Um, I mean, the one year in the monsoon where we lost, um, you know, where O'Corn was finishing the mm-hmm. game, you know, on paper we should have whooped them. Yeah. But but they won. Yeah. And so, Antonio just gets his team, was able to get this team up. So yeah. it is, that is the biggest question I think going into this game is can Mill talk, because obviously there's still D'Antonio guys there. Right. There's still guys from the Michigan State team uh, two, three years ago when they beat Michigan and mm-hmm. in Ann Arbor. There's still those guys on this team. Yeah. So, like, they have the experience to do this. The question is, like, can Mel Tucker get his guys as up for this game as Mark D'Antonio is? Right. I'm going to lean no, but Based we don't know. Seen, yeah, it's been so limited. We don't know with Mel Tucker yet. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You can see he's trying to put his own little, kind of like, takes on the rivalry. Um, there's a presser where he wouldn't refer to Michigan as Michigan. Which, just to be clear, this is very confusing. When you aren't going to say the word Michigan, when your team is Michigan State. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's like... Michigan is literally in the name of your school. Yeah, like, if you want to, like, not... Like, you could... There are plenty of slights that you could do at Michigan. Right. But, like, to not refer to them by their name? 
Yeah, it's in okay. your name. <laughs> I don't get it. Like, in, it's different. So, like, for Michigan and Ohio State, I as a Michigan fan, I don't normally like to call Ohio State Ohio State. I'll say Ohio because, you know, their big thing is the Ohio State. So, it's it's always a sort of a little slight to them. They call us the team up north or T-T-U-N because they don't want to say the word mm-hmm. Michigan. And then they do the thing where they cross out all the M's. But then they always miss one or two here or there. The commitment to that is impressive. Yeah, but, but like, when you're in the same state, it doesn't make yeah. sense. When I understand trying to hype up the rivalry, but it like, not saying Michigan does. It's in your name. Like, what are you gonna do when you're in like a like a pregame like speech and you go to say Michigan State? You're like, and here in, and here in state, state, you know, it's like you're not gonna say your team's name, anyways. So in this presser, he wouldn't refer to Michigan as Michigan. He said the team. Up the road. Now, a little geography lesson here and why this is important. Ann Arbor is southeast of East Lansing. And pretty far southeast. They are and it's not, not like up the road, they're down the road. It's not like down the road's not a saying. I feel like down the road's more of a saying than up the road. Yeah, the team down the road. Yeah. You know? And, I, and Sparty fans are going, oh, it's just a phrase. The team that shares know. the state with us. You can do something like that. So, something other than what he's doing. But anyways. I think there's a lot of subtle jabs he's trying to do off the top of his head. And I think if he thought more clearly about them, it would have worked out better yeah. for him. Yeah. And that's, that's so I think he's going to try. It just, is it going to come across the same as the Antonio? I don't know. It, it, to, it's, again, limited sample size. It just feels really manufactured right now. Yes. Because he doesn't have a history in the rivalry. Mm-hmm. Antonio had like, and understanding when he came in, he said up front, we're going to beat Michigan. And at the time, he sounded ludicrous for it because they were a bottom dweller. But then he he built that culture. So it's like Mel Tucker's trying to pick that up where yeah. he left off. And it just doesn't Which feel Which is understandable because it's a good culture to try to continue. Sure. But yeah, he but doesn't have the substance that D'Antonio had had. doesn't feel like the same like quote-unquote chip on the shoulder. It feels a little more flashy, which is different. And maybe that's that's why it just feels... Different. Um, All right, so going into this game, what are you expecting? Yeah, so I expect that Michigan is going to run the ball well, which isn't something I'd normally predict against Sparty, because Sparty traditionally, for the last 10 years, they're very, strength, very, very strong run defense yes, under D'Antonio. Even in their in their worst years. I mean, heck, the year where we went to East Lansing two years ago and, and beat 121-7, one, one and it really wasn't that close of a game. Like, we all brag about that game, but, like, their run D was, like, number two in the country. And before that, I mean, you go back decade, you know, in the last decade, 15 years, Shalik Calhoun, um, there's another really big guy. They always have these big defense yes. events, right? Malik McDowell. Malik McDowell, yep. And so they've always had really good de- run defenses and even passing defenses. I don't think that's the case this year. I think they, they lost a lot of key, key players. Um, is Bocce still there? He's gone, isn't he? Joe Bacci, I believe, has graduated, yes. Yeah, and he seemed to be like one of those last remaining kind of bookend, or not yeah. bookend, but like... Star, an- anchor, anchor. linebackers, you know? Yeah. And because they, they've always had one of those. That traditional D'Antonio anchor linebacker. Yeah, I think maybe the, one of the Panishuk brothers are still there. Um, don't really like them. Dirty players. But anyways, they just don't seem like they have the same mojo on defense. And again... One game into the season, so maybe I'm maybe I'm jumping the gun here. I think Michigan runs the ball really well. I think it's gonna be a similar script as Minnesota. Actually, I think multiple running backs score touchdowns. Joe Milton probably has another big day on the ground. I think you'll probably actually see them run him more. And I think you see Joe throw for a couple of touchdowns and also get at least one rushing touchdown. 
Now that's a lot of touchdowns going around. So I'm sure you're wondering how high of a game do you or how high scoring do you think this game's gonna be? It's gonna be a a bloodbath, in, in my opinion. I think we're gonna win easily by three scores. But anyways, let's get ahead of ourselves. What do you expect? Um going into this game, I'm a little torn about Michigan State's defense, to be honest. Because looking at their stats at last week versus Rutgers, Rutgers didn't even get 300 yards. Really? Rutgers had 276 total yards, 170 through the air, another 106 on the ground. It felt like more, though. It felt Going off the score, it's a lot. But also, these turnovers are leaving a short field, so it's sure. kind of leaving the defense a little... Sure. T- with just The defense is just getting screwed over by these turnovers. Right, they're putting a bad spot. So... I don't know about their defense because right. we didn't really see much to know. True. So true. Uh, we know there's the, the, some of these D'Antonio guys left over and that have the experience of, mm. like, this is Michigan Week. This is Michigan State Super Bowl every yep. year. Yep. Guaranteed. This is Michigan State Super Bowl. If they win this game, that is, like, huge. That is everything, especially in a year one for Mel Tucker. So I expect Michigan State to be... Maybe not the D'Antonio, like, eating play the glass level, but they're going to be very fired up for this. I fully expect that. I think they are. And so you'll probably see, like, the first first drive. I I mentioned this before we started recording. I think I would not be surprised to see Michigan State actually score on their first drive. Because it's pretty typical. It's scripted. They practice the single drive over and over and over. The tensions are high. Adrenaline's pumping. They come out playing with their hair on fire. Um, I can see. That happened last year. Yeah. If, I think it was two years ago. Um, no, it was the 2018 game in Ann Arbor where that I think it was the first, maybe the second drive. Michigan State was driving down the field, and they got that touchdown. It was that little um, fullback rollout on the, oh, yeah. Wing, yeah. Or on the wheel route, just uncovered, just a little trick play, mm-hmm. little set wrinkle. to go, a little wrinkle, throwing Michigan off, didn't expect it. Huge play that turned out to be a very important factor in that game. Right. So yeah. I could easily see them having something up the sleeve for drive one, mm-hmm. ready to go, and just uh, throw Michigan off their game a little bit. Yeah. But then I think you start seeing the talent sort of set in. You know what yeah. I mean? The sort of the part of the game where the, the, the where the talent disparity in the past few recruiting classes where Michigan State's been more nearing the bottom of the barrel in the Big Ten recruiting and Michigan's been more at the top. Right. I think that talent disparity will start to show and reveal itself. Totally. As the as with D'Antonio's last few years, the question of whether he's going to retire, whether he's not going to retire, that obviously is going to have a negative impact on recruiting because other coaches are just be like, hey, we don't even know if this guy's going to be here. Do you want to go there or do you want to come here where we're going to be here? Right. So sure. this is a game that I really don't know. I could see State do solid. I can see State do really bad. I'm going to lean that they're probably going to be in the middle and just do okay. Mm-hmm. So I... I think State will do okay. I think they'll play better than they did against Rutgers. I think they're going to play way better than Rutgers. Yeah, I mean, you you hope to God they don't turn the ball over seven times again. Yeah. That would just be pathetic. I mean, I wouldn't mind them giving us the game, but I also, I want to beat them. I don't want them to beat themselves. I want want to beat Michigan State and earn it, not have it be given. Sure, sure. And I don't want any Sparty fans to be able to say, oh, well, we beat ourselves in that game. It's like, no, I want to be very apparent that Michigan beat Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so... This is going to be an interesting game. It will be. It'll, so, it'll be interesting to see how Mel Tucker handles the, the rivalry. Yeah. Um, and to see how this offense fares against... It, I think they're still a better defense than Minnesota. Yeah. 
I think this is going to be an, a good game to test the offense. For sure. All in all, I feel real good going into this Saturday. I think we both have it chalked up as a W. Um, feel pretty good about what we've seen from Michigan comparatively um, to what we've seen from Sparty. So we will get into official predictions and our official um, kind of insights into the outcomes of the game here later on. Uh, first, we're going to take a quick break, and we, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about around the conference, um, some notable things happening, uh, scores around the conference from this last weekend, as well as a couple things that will impact Michigan down the road. So hang tight. We'll be right back, and we'll get into it. start moving to the end of the show and wrapping up here getting into predictions for Michigan Michigan State but before we do uh, we think it's important to take a minute to look at the overall scheme and outlook of the conference and so we're going to take a look at kind of the the goings-on of the conference what happened with other games as well as a couple recent uh, events and the updates that will affect Michigan later on so, Chance, why don't you walk us through the rest of the conference first? What happened uh, to the rest of the teams in the Big Ten? All right, well, let's just start with the just the beatdown that happened. Um, Northwestern, Maryland. Yeah. Maryland lost a lot of players in this offseason from transfer stuff, opting out, blah, 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 blah. Doesn't really matter. Mar- <laughs> or Maryland got blown the F out. They got smoked. 43-3 to by Jeez. Northwestern. Northwestern just ran all over them. Drake Anderson put up 103 yards. Peyton Ramsey, the former Indiana quarterback who transferred to Northwestern, threw for 200 yards, 23 for 30 passing. Jeez. That is a game I did not expect to go that. I expected Northwestern to win. I didn't expect that. That's crazy. So then let's just continue going out west with teams out west that have won in the conference. Purdue over Iowa, really impressive win, especially not having one of the more electric players in the country in Rondell Moore. He didn't play this game. So... Iowa with another, are we good, are we not good season? Right. Don't really know yet. Doesn't help Iowa's quarterback, whose name's escaping me. Doesn't really matter because he's irrelevant because he could not hit the broad side of a barn. <laughs> then Rutgers, Michigan State. We covered that when we are talking about Michigan State. The Rutgers with their first Big Ten win in 21 games or that something like that. That was crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah, that so 21 games. That's Jeez. a lot. Then last year, uh, seven of their, no, what is it? Seven of their uh, Big Ten, nine Big Ten games last year, they scored seven or less points, and they put up 38 in this good game. Lord. Obviously, a lot helped with the Michigan State turnovers, but yeah. good win by Rutgers. Then Michigan-Minnesota, obviously, boys in blue won, 49-24. Blue. P.J. Fleck, you can suck it. <laughs> then let's go Ohio State-Nebraska. Ohio State maybe struggled a little bit early on, but that talent gap, what having one of the more talented teams in the country. Evident. Justin Fields just took over. 20 for 21. That is Almost okay. 300 yards passing. We just got to take a moment. He went 20 for 21. That is insane. More impressive. The in- incompletion, the receiver dropped the ball. Yeah. That's so like, it wasn't even his fault. As, okay, as much as I hate that team, man, you just have to admire any quarterback who can go almost 100% completion rate. Yeah, that's, that's insane. Nuts. Dude is legit. 
uh, it's going to be very interesting come later in the year what Michigan's going to try to do Yeah, to prevent this guy from just going just insane. Those receivers look scary yeah. good. But anyways. So then the, mo- the most controversial game of the week in the entire country, Indiana-Penn State. Go Hoosiers. Uh, one, this is another game where uh, big game James Franklin uh, <laughs> just pooped. Poop the bed. I don't know what it is with late game decision making, but Not good. he has had a horrible Man. history. Remember, this James Franklin lost to Brady Hoke. Brady Hoke's 2014 team only won five games. James Franklin was one of those wins. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> uh, so Penn State could have won this game, but didn't. Late game touchdown allowed Indiana to have the time to drive back down the field. Got a touchdown with seconds left. They got the two-point conversion they needed. So then we're going overtime. Penn State gets their touchdown. Rah, rah, looking great. Up seven points. Indiana gets their touchdown. And unlike the Indiana teams of the past, where they just flirt with the win, but they just can't do it. This team went for two. They knew they were in just dangerous waters. Waters where they were hanging around with a team that is better than them. Right. And they just went for the two. And this ball, it is the same as the 2016 JT Barrett spot with Michigan and Ohio State. Whatever's called on the field is going to be what stands. It's it's a camera shot that's too tough to differentiate. Because there are shots where it looks like the ball hit the ground out of bounds first. And there are shots where it looks like pile on first. But also, is the tip of the ball crossing the plane? Because that... Counts as a touchdown. The tip crosses the plane. As soon as it crosses the plane, plays over. Yeah, as soon as it crosses the plane, plays over, touchdown. So this, like, if you haven't seen this, just look this up. Indiana's quarterback panics, rolls out on this thing, and he dives from, like, the six or the seven. He He dives so far away. He's diving for this corner, and this ball (laughs) is inches from either being out of bounds or in the end zone. They call it a two-point conversion on the field, and it's one of those shots. There's no possible way you can yeah. overturn this. It's not possible. It's like that scene from Space Jam. Uh, sorry to all you youngins who haven't watched Space Jam. When like, I guess you'll see LeBron's coming soon. <laughs> Get out of here with that. Bill Murray's not in it. I don't care. <laughs> There's that scene where Michael Jordan like goes up to like dunk it, but he gets like, grabbed by the Monstars, and his arm stretches like 50 feet. Like, it was the same scene. He literally like jumped. Penix Jr. jumped, stretched the ball out, I felt like he just like levitated in the air and kept going forward. Like it looked like he should have been down, and he just like floated to the pylon. It was meant yeah. to be. It was meant to be. If nothing else, Indiana, you deserve this win from hanging around with so many teams, including Michigan in the yeah. past they recently, were, were where you were just right there. You deserve this win. Penn State, you can suck it. James Franklin is just an awful late game coach. I don't know why he just is. He makes horrible decisions. Jim Harbaugh is a better football coach than James Franklin. James Franklin, if it wasn't for Saquon Barkley, probably would be at Penn State. But that's a whole different discussion we won't go into because yes. I don't want to do that. Anyways, rest of the games. So, rest of the games. There's only one game left in the conference. Uh, Wisconsin, Illinois. This is not the Wisconsin team that we are used to. No. This was not ground and pound, run it down your throat. This was just an air raid style, passing the ball, passing the ball, passing the ball. So even though we just talked all that hype about Justin Fields a few minutes ago, he was not the only quarterback in the conference to go 20 for 21 this week. Graham Mertz, the just the new starting quarterback for Wisconsin, 20 for 21, 250 yards, and five touchdowns. Yeah. And just remember last year, just last year, 
Jonathan Taylor, rookie running back, tearing it up for the Indiana, Indianapolis Colts, and my fantasy team is just <laughs> doing fantastic this year. So, and just remember, just last year, this was a running team. Yeah. We ran the ball, and that was about it. We did a little passing, not much. And it just completely flipped the script and start passing. They've always been a running team. They've always been a running team. Monty Ball, um, the dude after him, <laughs> can't remember his name. Come on, Melvin Gordon. Oh, was it? I thought it was a guy in between. I know no. Melvin Gordon. I thought it was a guy in between them. No, I think it was Melvin Gordon. Okay, so Monty Ball, Melvin Gordon, um, Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor. Anyways, they've they've a Dane. lot. Dane. Of... That was it, Dane. Dane, way back in the nineties, yeah. all-time rushing leader. Yeah. So we're really used to seeing like they're like the epitome of old school Big Ten football. Like they're gonna beat teams fourteen to seven, but. Like I said, totally flipped the script. What was the final score of that game? 45-7. to seven. This was Friday Jeez. night, first game of the Big Ten year. And Wisconsin yeah. just came out slinging it. Peters is gone at Illinois, right? No, Brandon Peters is still there. Our Michigan, Jeez. Brandon, we still love you. Yeah, we do. I like you, Brandon. I like you better as an Illinois player, but I like you. <laughs> yeah, I hope you do well, man. But yeah. If you didn't know, Brandon Peters was at Michigan. Yeah. Uh, did okay. Transferred away. At Illinois, doing big things. Had a clutch win over the Spartans. He did and, have a clutch win over the Spartans last Anyways, year. So, speaking, speaking of... Uh, yeah, speaking of Wisconsin, uh, big news this year with Wisconsin in just the past few days. You know that guy we just talked about all this great stuff about, Graham Mertz? Mertz. Uh, Saturday after their game, Friday night, uh, rumored positive test for COVID. Then confirmed positive test for COVID earlier this week. Yeah. So that means he goes... If you remember in our depth chart episode, we talked about that margin of error. Mm-hmm. Razor thin. Uh, razor thin. Um, so he's down now 21 weeks. Or 21 days. Three say, weeks. 21 minutes. weeks. That would suck. <laughs> That's end of the season. But 21 <laughs> days. That That's is... a long time. So he's going to be out. There's rumored that there are 30... So... He's the second-string quarterback. Jack Cohn was the first-string quarterback. Just had foot surgery earlier this month. Is most likely not going to be playing at all. So he's out. Yep. So they are down two quarterbacks, potentially down their third-string quarterback. Yeah. And if so if he tests positive for COVID, he's out for three weeks too. Yeah. So that brings us down to the fourth-string quarterback, which uh, no team wants to be in that spot. No. Is he even a scholarship quarterback? He is a scholarship. Okay. He is a... Son of a former Wisconsin player. Got it. But he played a little bit in 2019, yes. did okay. Fourth string, though. So, yeah. Not a good He's, place to be. It's not a good spot to be. It's like... So, and the, the, so this has impact on Michigan because... We play him. Uh, in 21 days, so three weeks from that test, uh, is when Michigan-Wisconsin play. So there is a little bit of the up in the air of what mm-hmm. the actual rule is. Is yeah. does Is it 21 days from the... Test or is it twenty from days from the confirmed test? That's the question. It's very up in the air. It's not really known. The Big Ten is going to have to clarify this. I've seen in a couple of conflicting future. reports. Yes. One said it's twenty-one days from the first positive test, which to me makes zero sense because you would think that you want twenty-one days from the first negative test. Or no, I guess maybe not twenty-one days from the first negative test, but from the most recent positive test. Because knowing how the Big Ten's handled this, they've erred on the side of caution. So there's, I saw. Conflicting tweets. One was he for sure will be out because it's 21 day policy for the Big Ten, and then the other said no, it's 21 days from the first test, which was 
What is it? It's so, very confusing. It is. Big Town, clear this up, please. But either way, Mertz... We've, we've well, got to know. Yeah, Mertz was already the second string, like you said. So, <laughs> Badgers fans are probably like, we're saved, Mertz is good. Yeah. And this, man, what a gut punch that would be. Yeah, that's a huge gut punch, and even more of a gut punch. Uh, as of this morning, Wisconsin football has paused all football activities with a potential of a COVID outbreak on the team. Including their game against Including Nebraska. their game this weekend against Nebraska. So that game will go ahead and as a no contest, no loss for Wisconsin, no win for Nebraska. The yep. game just will not happen. Like we said, there is literally no buffer because there's no bi- there's no yep. bye weeks. There's no week built in before the Big Ten Championship week. If you don't play a game, you just don't play that game. So, so it, it's a huge blow to Wisconsin. Yeah. And... Uh, now, Wisconsin isn't the only team to, to suffer significant blows. Penn State, we just talked about them against the Hoosiers. They were already without Journey Brown, their leading back going, their leading running back going into the, the season. They've now lost um, what Noah Kane is his yes, name, I think. Noah Kane as well. They've lost Noah Kane, who it looked decent as as the you know the fill-in starting back, and so we also play Penn State here in a couple weeks, and so listen. We're going to preface this. We get, we poke around a lot with other teams. Um, we'll hate on Spartan fans, or not Spartan fans, we'll hate on the you know Michigan State team, we'll hate on Ohio State. But in all seriousness, we never root for players to be injured, sick, or have any sort of negative life impacts. It's football, and there's bigger and, things than football. And even, like, this is college football. This isn't the Super Bowl. Yeah. This is, like, these are still kids. They're not getting paid. They're not it, being paid. These are amateurs. Yeah. Obviously, we don't want any of them to have anything negative. Yeah, and not only are they not getting paid. This game. Yeah, not only are they not getting paid. Like you said, these kids are 18, 19, 20 years old. So, you know, prefacing this is what happened, you know, the injuries to both Penn State backs, what's going on with, you know, Jack Cohn and his injury and Mertz and, and having to sit out, that's detrimental to those guys' football careers. And we wish them all the best, speedy recoveries, and obviously we hope that everybody's healthy in the long run. But we would be naive to say that that does not set up some favorable matchups for Michigan when they play them. Obviously, you'd rather beat good teams at their best because that makes you look better and you enjoy the competition. But if there's a season for weird things to happen and end up with Michigan going undefeated going into Ohio State, things seem to be kind of falling that way right now. Obviously, they definitely are. we got to get by Fats going way ahead. We gotta get by. Yeah, looking over a lot of teams that could be very yeah. We gotta be we tough gotta games. we gotta win out our schedule and take care of our business. But these are all things that will the affect upside Michigan. is there. That is for sure. Definitely, there is the change in how the game will be played because those running back and quarterback those are big positions that change. Those are game. Right. The quarterback players. touches the ball every offensive play. Right. So there are a few players as important as him. Exactly. So. We'll see how those, those things pan out. Um, obviously, we're going to be hoping for the best for all the other Big Ten teams. Um, you know, it, it, COVID-19 has just added a whole layer of complexity to things. And the last thing we want is for anybody to be sick and for the season to have stalled any more than it already has because Lord knows it was a living hell to go through this last offseason. So best wishes to those guys and something to follow closely going forward. Um all right, well, let's go ahead and transition. Um, predictions for the Michigan State game. We'll kind of wrap this thing up here. Um, before we get into it, we, we kind of mentioned it earlier, but in case you didn't hear, uh, we will be playing Michigan State in Ann Arbor at noon. It is the Fox Big Noon kickoff, so Fox will have the coverage. And is that right? Yes. Okay, just make sure. I'll cut that out. 
Should be a pretty competitive game, being that it is a rivalry game. Battle for the Paul Bunyan Trophy. However, we do expect Michigan to have a pretty strong showing against what seems to be a lackluster Michigan State team. Again, people were one game into the season. Some of these things could be mirages, but we'll see. So let's go ahead and get into it. Chance, what do you... Um, Chance, who do you expect to break out of this game against the Spartans? That is a fantastic question that I've just been thinking about, trying to decide who I want to pick. And honestly, I think, is it a breakout game? Not really, because he showed last year that he was very good. But I'm going to say Hassan Hacks, or I'm going to say Hassan Haskins. Uh, running back, last week he had six carries for 82 yards. Two touchdowns, so did he have a great game? Yes. Scratch that. I'm going to need to change my breakout player. Go for it. So, I know I talked him up in the offseason that I thought he did was going to be just a huge upside player. I'm going to go with tight end Eric Hall. He had a couple drops last week, but they showed that they were trying to target him. He's a big guy. Good red zone target. Maybe he gets a touchdown or two. We'll see. But mm-hmm. I'm liking the upside potential on Eric Hall. They clearly like the mismatches he gets. It Sort of like how Gentry used to draw mismatches yes. on linebackers. He has that same kind of lengthy and athletic kind of... Ability. I think he's going to be very similar in the Gentry red zone target yeah. style. For tight sure. end. For sure. And with Eubanks having been out um, last week, you know, a little, a little fogginess on his, why yes. that happened... So if we don't see Eubanks against State, that's another opportunity for Eric All to kind of show his stuff. So you have Eric All. Um, I am going to go with one of the running backs, and this running back was a bit of a surprise to me against against Minnesota. Blake Corum got the first touch at running back. I'd like to point out my preseason predictions. I pr- predicted that. You did. You did. And I being such a deep room, you know, there's obviously a lot of variability and a lot of options they have. I really expected Charbonnet or Evans to be, I mean, Haskins too. Between those yeah. three, that, that alone is a three-headed monster. You add in Blake Corum, who I did not realize how explosive he was. That the first dude play, is fast. He's real fast. And uh, I was surprised by him. He was tied for the second most carries in the team. Um, only, bested by, only bested by Joe Milton and Hassan Haskins. And uh, Milton obviously had a couple design runs, and so that, that contributed. But, man, dude went off whenever he got the ball. And like you said, there's some backs. He reminded me of Higdon a lot, where Higdon, as soon as he got the ball, he was off. You know what I mean? His, yeah. his get-up-and-go was significant. And Corner kind of reminds me of that. And like I mentioned earlier, I don't think this Spartan run defense is up to the same caliber after watching that Rutgers game as um, past years. And so I think there's an opportunity for Michigan to take advantage um, you might see a lot of those little bubble screens again, uh-huh. or, you know, fake handoff to one back or tossed and then tossed the other, and like they did in that yeah. little big run that Corum had. So I really like Blake Corum in this matchup. Yeah, so, Blake Corum, six touches, fifty yards, almost ten yards a touch. Yeah, almost ten yards a touch. That is solid. Yeah, no doubt. So Matt, going off that, what is going to be your bold prediction for this game? My bold prediction. I've kind of gone back and forth between a couple of things. I jokingly said earlier tonight that Rocky Lombardi throws two pick sixes. I don't think it's realistic. I think it'd be hilarious, um, and I would love to see that. But um, I think, so my last last week, my bold prediction for Minnesota came true. I predicted that the defense would score a touchdown. Um, 
I think they probably score one this week too, but I won't go with that. For my bold prediction, I'm going to predict that Joe Milton accounts for five total touchdowns, including multiple rushing touchdowns. I think they really like him in the run game, and they use him in the red zone often. Um, there's going to be a lot of mouths to feed at receiver and running back for, for goal line touches, but I think Milton gets a couple rushing touchdowns in there. What do you think? All right, I can definitely see that happen. My bold prediction, well, first I'm going to preface my bold prediction. Back in 2014, uh, Joe Bolden, Michigan linebacker in East Lansing, may have brought a stake onto the field <laughs> to hype up his team and to drive a stake into this game and make it important. Did not go well. Uh, did not go well for them. I, I admire the attempt, but did not go well. And at the end of that game, when Michigan State could have just kneeled to run out the clock, they decided not to. And when asked about this, why they did not, Mark D'Antonio said he felt like he needed to drive a stake into this game. Um, well, Mark, I know you're not there anymore, but I feel like this is a great opportunity for Michigan to drive a stake into this rivalry. My bold prediction is Michigan rushes for 300 yards. Whew. Holy crap. I think Michigan is going to absolutely shove it down their throats. Because going into this season, we expected them to pass more, and then last week... All they did was run. Yeah. They had 30 rushes last year, or last week. I didn't expect that at all. No. 30 rushes. That's a lot. This is a team we thought was going to be more pass-happy. Mm-hmm. Not the case. I'm expecting them to be very similar. I'm expecting Michigan to maybe get up a little early in this game and just continue the running and continue the running, and it's just going to wear down, wear down, wear down. Because Especially with having the running back group where you're able to rotate and keep mm-hmm. guys fresh. Yeah. I could easily see this snowball into a 300-yard game. Man. Especially with this offensive line. That's a lot of yards. So a how, lot of yards. How many yards do you think they get total then? So total, I'm going to say Michigan eclipses, I'll say 500, because 200 passing yards from Joe's not crazy. Sure. Because, yeah. again, last week had a very quiet 225. Right. So I could see Joe maybe throw for 200, but I think this is a game they went on the ground. Yeah, 300 yards is a lot. It I is a lot. I, last week, they put up 256. Yeah. I think, I mean, you know, this is speaking in sort of extremes here, and so I generally try to avoid that, but there is an opportunity for this year to kind of serve as a key turning point for this rivalry in the past decade. Yes. Now, we've dominated the last two years, and I think it's already been apparent that, you know, outside of the fumble the snap game, which is once in a lifetime, um, Michigan has really dominated this rivalry over the last five years, they would be four and one had it had not been for that punt. But um, you just sense the momentum has shifted already. Um, Harbaugh has an opportunity to go in, give Mel Tucker a real big L, introduce him to this rivalry, and really set the tone, almost like D'Antonio did when he started beating Michigan. Yes. And like you said, I hope it's ruthless. I hope that it is a bloodletting, whether it be through the air or on the ground, like you said, I've seen Harbaugh run the score up in Penn State multiple times. I'd like to see them do the same to Michigan State. Yes. Significantly. if you think that I would be upset by this, you're wrong. I remember back in those Michigan State days. Again, we just referenced in 2014. Mm-hmm. Could have taken me. Chose to go for the touchdown. Yep. It was uh, it's certainly due. This There's no love lost between these two teams. No love lost. This is going to be, this is honestly one of the more heated rivalries in the country. 
far mm-hmm. down. It's got a, it's got an element of bitterness to it that a lot of rivalries don't. Yeah. So a lot of rivalries, there's the respect, and in this, there is a respect, but it's more of a like, it's a familial respect. Like we respect them, but that does not mean we're not going to get into like a bar style brawl. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, it's got a different timbre to it, yes. and I think that Michigan has an opportunity to seize sort of the mojo of this rivalry, yes. similarly to how I hate to say it, Ohio has stolen the mojo in our rivalry against them over the last five to six years, where they've just yeah make this rivalry an afterthought. Yes, that's what I'd like to see. So, my final score prediction for this game, I am going to say Michigan, forty-five to seventeen. And I think initially I had Michigan State scoring a little less. Like we've talked about, I think they come out with a scripted drive, play with their hair on fire for their first drive. Defense has to settle in because it's a rivalry game. There's jitters. I think Michigan State scores in their first drive, and they get a touchdown later on as well as a field goal. Um, I think Michigan, like you said, pours it on. I think they pull away pretty early, actually. Um, and I think it's, I think midway through the second quarter, it's going to be pretty obvious what the outcome is. Yes. So I'm ex- obviously expecting 300 yards rushing. Um, I my game prediction going off of that, I think Michigan State's defense once we get in the red zone is going to like toughen up a little bit because sure. this is still a D'Antonio defense. It may not be him there, but their defense is still going to be solid. Yeah. And going off of that, I feel I'm going to say 41 to 13. Okay. So that's five touchdowns and two field goals. I'm expecting the field goal units to be much better this week, whether it's Nordine, whether it's Moody. I don't care. Just put it through. Just make the case. It can look like a dying duck. I don't care. Just <laughs> right. go through the uprights, please. Right. It's not that hard. So I'm expecting field goals much improved. I'm expecting special teams much improved. Michigan State, I could easily see getting a big play on an early drive mm-hmm. that will help steal some momentum in their way, but I'm thinking just the ground and pound, wearing down, wearing down, wearing down, will eventually just – finally spill over and Michigan just takes over. Indeed. So I think it's safe to say we both feel pretty confident. Well, that'll do it for episode two here. We are a couple days away from game day, so we are excited. Hopefully you are too. Get amped up. Um, We'll be posting all the Spartan hate on Instagram. We've been doing it all week. We're going to keep it up. So uh, tune in uh, to the Instagram page at hail underscore FTB podcast. Um, we post one episode a week on, here on the podcast itself, but we do post content throughout the week. Catch us on, uh, catch our weekly download, um, every Wednesday or Thursday with some key, um, key points about the upcoming game, some key happenings around the Michigan football program. And if you have a question or you want to be, you want to be on a show or you just want to say, Hey, send us an email at hail from the bleachers at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. So chance we're going to go ahead and wrap it up, man. Go blue. We will see you guys on game day, and uh, hopefully it'll be a nice little uh, lesson to little brother, and we'll send him out of Ann Arbor with a big old fat L. We'll catch you on Halloween, little bro. Go blue.